0: This is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That is Corinne.
1: And that is Sabrina.
0: And we're here for an extra special creepy episode of Two Girls, One Ghost. Because, should I do a disclaimer mm-hmm. now? Sure. Sure. Disclaimer, we are going to talk about possessions, which means there will be mentions of demons and all the darkness in the world. So if you um, think
1: of this as like a Dominus part three, just we'll always go back to demons. We
0: always do. Also, this episode is number 66. So like, obviously, we had to embrace the demons inside of the numbers. Exactly.
1: Uh, Not demon related, but the holidays are coming up. Thanksgiving is, well, it will have passed by the time this comes
0: out. I will still be sleeping from all the food I ate.
1: Yep. As we're talking, though, it is pre-Thanksgiving. And my brother, Christian, flew home a couple days ago from L.A. And I posted this on our Instagram story, too. But he texted my mom and my mom screenshotted it and sent it to me. And he, he texted her and said, don't be afraid to vacuum up any insects and ghosts out of the basement movie room before I get there. Oh,
0: my God. Isn't that funny? That's so Ghostbusters. Bugs and ghosts. (laughs) That's very, I imagine your mom with like her Ghostbusters backpack on and just like vacuuming up all the ghosts in the basement. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, my God. She totally was. And my dad was taking pictures and sending it to our group, (laughs) our family group chat. Like, mom's getting rid of the
0: ghosts. (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, my God. Your family is so great. I know.
1: I'm looking forward to going home and seeing if anything happens because my mom has a friend named Kathy she's been like a family friend for a long time and uh, she always experiences something when she comes over and the last time she was in our house like a couple a few weeks ago or like a month ago she saw who she thought was my mom and then felt like my mom like basically saw her get up and start walking behind her so she thought her my mom was following her and then all of a sudden my mom comes out a different part of our house and is walking towards her and she's like oh my god sandwiched by Debs that is so scary yeah I also feel like every time you you go home, you experience something. I guess, like, not anything extreme, but sometimes here and there. But I'm really curious about the woman that she saw who she thought was my mom, because that's happened to me before. That one time, I was looking in the mirror, or I was standing in the kitchen, and there's a mirror that faces it, and I saw who I thought was my mom walk behind me.
0: Doppelganger, and we know yep. that's not good. Do, do, do. Or maybe... I imagine there's this ghost that's like very smitten with your mom and just admires her very much. And so she's like, I'm gonna channel Deb. I'm just gonna look like her and act like her. And then maybe in my ghost life, I can be like her.
1: Maybe it's an ancestor. And that's why Ooh. she looks so similar to my mom. And she's just appearing in her prime, which is, I guess, in her 40s and 50s. Wow.
0: Yeah. What are you doing for uh the break. I'll be writing my blind spot script. But then I don't know. Yeah, I'll just be writing all the time, all the time. Is Nick staying? Are you guys both staying in LA? Yeah, we are. I have not gone home for Thanksgiving since uh freshman year of college. Oh, wow. Yeah, cuz it's just expensive and then actually last year we went to Switzerland to visit my dad, but um Yeah, no, it's It's a hard holiday to travel for, and then we work until Wednesday. It's so short. Yeah. But so today, uh, this has nothing to do with Thanksgiving, but I wanted to tell you. Nick and I went on a walk around the neighborhood because one, Nick was hungover, and two, I had been like sitting in my chair writing since like three weeks ago. And (laughs) we decided to go on a walk around the neighborhood and we saw an open house, and we're like, oh my God, let's just go walk in. And so we walked through this house, it was completely empty. And we're going through it. It's very outdated. I think it was built in the 80s and would need a lot of work. And also we can't afford it. But that's...
1: I was just about to say, wait, if you're saying it needs a lot of work, does this
0: mean you're considering? <laughs> no, 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 no. This has That has nothing to do with the story because we were just... We have no money. We can't buy a home. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, but so we get out of the house and Nick's like, did you feel weird in that house? I felt super weird and i was like and for nick to admit I know. to it too well nick believes in spirits but he yeah i know but he's so hardcore rejects talking about it sometimes because he's so nervous that it's going to bring about things yeah but so he's like yeah like i felt really lightheaded when i walked into two of the specific rooms there was like a like a one of the bedrooms and then the master bedroom and he was like i got super lightheaded and like felt weird in the rooms and he was like i'm so glad to be out of there so, questionably ooh. haunted house for sale in our neighborhood? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I want to know the backstory. I want to know who lived Me in it before. Do. Have they ever experienced anything?
0: Yeah, I don't know. Um, you should look up the address. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting. Because, I mean, it brought up the conversation that we had, I think, I think, last week, about can there be leftover energy from living people? And, like, if something bad happened to a person in a place can that energy sit there rather than like a death but just like energy from life right right and so I was like maybe something bad happened in that house but also I didn't ask the realtor if anyone died there because I feel like I, I would have really creeped him out
1: <laughs> and like the realtor's there alone <laughs> yeah. all day You're like, did anyone die here and then they're like great my day's ruined <laughs> yeah I wonder Yeah, it's just it's I've always been curious about estate sales and I've looked them up plenty of times, but I've never gone.
0: Oh, they're the best.
1: But okay, I don't trust myself to not buy something if I see something and I think it's really cool. Right. And so I don't go because I'm like, I can't be trusted. And then I'm going to bring something home.
0: Yes, definitely.
1: Oh, what if I wonder If maybe the energy was just like weird and off because the person who had lived in there prior, however long ago, Mm -hmm. their spirit, or maybe there's just a ghost that's always lived there and it's just a little nervous of the new people that are going to walk in. And so they're being really judgy of everyone and putting off this kind of nervous, like weird vibes that you
0: guys picked up on. Interesting. It's very possible. But the house also has been on the market for a very long time, which makes me wonder, if everyone who goes into that house gets bad vibes and there is something dark there
1: i feel like that's a bit of a theme too with a lot of the really awful hauntings it's always a cheap house that's been on the market mm-hmm. for far too long and is super underpriced given what the house provides mhm interesting dark spirits helping out our real estate market since
0: 1726 <laughs> i like that specific date (laughs) did something happen on that date i have no idea
1: i don't know either maybe
0: some ghost just put that date into your mind because they wanted you to say it perhaps i died that year (gasps) now i'm
1: back Back 300 years later (laughs) and you're never going away again no i'm not and if i do go away i'm definitely not choosing to ever come back if I have to live somewhere smelly and stinky.
0: What if you have no choice and you're just put there and it's like sucks to suck?
1: Oh, right,
0: okay. Yep. Y'all already know the topic. Yes. Um, And uh, I'm going to give a disclaimer again because this story is freaking intense. What did you choose? Michael Taylor. So today, Corinne. I'm going to share the story of Michael Taylor, believed by some to be the most shocking account of demonic possession ever to have occurred in the United Kingdom.
1: Okay, okay.
0: I'm ready. We're traveling back in time to 1974. It was in a small town called Osset in Yorkshire, England. It was a sleepy town of around 17,000 people, and some of, and a family that lived there were the Taylors. And it was 31-year-old Michael Taylor, his 29-year-old wife Christine, and they had five children, all young boys, and a poodle. And as all stories like this begin, they were a perfectly happy family who loved each other deeply, laughter filled the air emanating from their home, yada 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 yada, yada. It was yada yada yada. Did not last long. Although seemingly perfect, Michael had suffered bouts of depression caused by chronic back pain because he had worked, he had an accident at work where he injured his back so badly that he can no longer work. So he had oh, to, That's yeah, horrible. It's, it's horrible. So he had to like leave his job and then he was trying to find another job. There was a recession and he was just in so much pain that he like couldn't hold a job. And mm-hmm. so his life to him started to look pretty bleak. He felt this pressure to provide for his family. I mean, it's the 70s. So like this, it's the time of like men being the provider, you know, like all of that. Right, right. Um, and so he felt the pressure. He couldn't provide. He wanted to be the strong role model for his sons, but he couldn't. And so his self esteem started to dwindle, and his depression became worse. And then a friend of the Taylors, her name was Barbara Wardman, reached out to them. She like knocked on their door and was like, "How do who? How you doing in here? <laughs> <laughs> How do <to> you? <who>, neighbor? <laughs> she was. What in the heck? Where are we? <laughs> I don't know. I just imagined her as one of those, those like, nosy looky-loos, and so I gave her a persona when I was researching. howdy <laughs> Uh She knocked on the door, and she was like, how's it going? How, like, you know, I'm concerned about you guys. And I guess she had noticed that the family was withdrawing from, like, all social events, and they were just becoming very isolated. So she comes over, and she was like, you know what? I have an idea. You guys, you guys come on. Come to my event. I'm hosting um, a big event for the Christian Fellowship. And um, it's going to be great. Honestly, I I mean,
1: I don't know where this is going, if she's friend or foe in this story. But I just really like that she noticed that something yeah. was going on and took action and tried to take care of this family. I agree. She's, yeah, she's been a great neighbor.
0: I wish it went well. But she was a great oh, neighbor. And uh, so the Christian Fellowship uh, was part of the charismatic christianity movement and michael and christine were hesitant because they were neither of them were particularly religious and they weren't good friends with god or jesus or the Mm -hmm. spirits in the bible um that's how religion works correct uh (laughs) but barbara was very convincing and so later that week michael and christine attended the meeting and they were quickly went over by this 22-year-old preacher whose name was Marie Robinson. And within – all within one day, they were converted into Christianity. So they went to this event, and then by the end of the day, they were like, we are Christians. <laughs> the next week, they attended a service led by Marie, and it was a few towns over. And during the service, the weird things started happening. Marie started shaking. She was speaking in tongues in another language, and she was claiming to be possessed by the Holy Spirit – And apparently, this was just like a normal thing that happened in the Christian fellowship. And it was just part of, uh, I think it was called, it's called glossolalia. Yeah, I knew I wasn't going to be able to pronounce that. It's called glossolalia, which is speaking in tongues. And it was a common practice amongst the Christian fellowship. Seems normal.
1: I actually, I had a friend whose mother did that. Really? I never heard it personally but he imitated it
0: whoa (laughs) that's scary yeah because at what point do you differentiate who you're being possessed by if if this is what they believe how do you know it's not a darker entity pretending to be the holy spirit
1: yeah these are all great questions (laughs) i have no idea i have no answer i don't quite want to participate in it i don't know if people just if it's actually like intelligible words that are spoken or if they're just letting
0: something come if they're over just them. like letting yeah. loose
1: and saying whatever comes to
0: mind yeah I wonder if anyone has answers about this or understands this better than we do please let us know yeah please educate us we love learning learning is fun we want to hear it from you versus the internet yeah agreed so then Christine's kind of like okay this is kind of weird but like I love God so I'm going to keep going and michael began attending more and more meetings of the group and he was spending a suspicious amount of time with marie robinson who was the preacher and apparently and there were a few different versions of the stories where some of them said this is what happened some of them said this happened in a later date not with marie but apparently marie and michael engaged in private rituals where they would stay up all night and make the sign of the cross over each other in order to ward off what they believe was the evil power of the full moon. Which is like, that is super kinky. (laughs) Right? I mean, a little.
1: (laughs) It it makes me wonder who kind of has the upper hand and who has the dominance over the other. Because I can't picture two people equally being like, yes, let's.
0: Let's do the sign of the cross over each other. What did you just whisper? I said, were they naked? Oh, <laughs> it was not made clear. Uh, I don't know. But I imagine they have, this is the picture I imagined when I was reading this. It's in like a concrete room within like a church. It's empty except for the two bodies, Marie and and Michael and they have buckets of holy water in like tin buckets right next to them and they're both naked they're kneeling on the floor splashing each other with holy water and doing the sign of the cross over each other saying bless you bless you you know
1: it really is such a thin line between what's terrifying and what is a turn on
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's what I mean like people have their weird things and you know what I could see how how we know
1: what yours is (laughs) (laughs) father son holy spirit
0: every night nick and i before we go to bed (laughs) bless you bless you uh this is why i have such a clear image in my mind (laughs) okay glad we can make fun of uh of this story before it gets too dark okay so naturally christine begins to notice this like change in michael one he's like clearly disappearing off late at night doing who knows what with Marie. And then he also became very irritable and annoyed with her and her children. He was acting as if he were too good for them. He would yell at them. He would kind of like storm out randomly. And um, she started to feel like the church was becoming a negative influence on his life. And she was also very concerned that that he was spending way too much time with Marie. But she wasn't the only one who thought that because apparently everyone in the congregation also noticed it and then one night the Taylors hosted a meeting for the christian fellowship at their home and this is when things kind of started to get like really weird and take a turn so at some point during the night michael began acting very strangely he started shaking violently and shouting nonsensical words and then immediately after he starts saying these weird words another member of the group her name was mavis smith fell into an instant depression started bawling her eyes out uncontrollably she was like just so viscerally like depressed and um sad and so marie the preacher went over to mavis and put her hands on mavis's knees and like her head and started speaking to her saying these words and apparently it was an exorcism which they had they didn't know at the time but marie was performing an exorcism on mavis in the taylor's house Marie would speak these words loudly, and Mavis would writhe uncontrollably. Would swear and curse at Marie and tell her she hated her and that she was going to go to hell. All of this stuff, and by the end of the night, everyone was like extremely shook. They had never seen something like this before, and they were like, "Let's, let's uh, all go home, and we'll reconvene next week." And then the next day, Marie, who again is the preacher, because I know there are a lot of names. Marie decided to check in on Michael at his home to make sure that he was okay after the previous night's events. And Michael took Marie into a private room and kissed her while his wife was in the other room. Um, I'm sorry. Me too. And Marie pushed him away saying like, what are you doing? Think of your wife. Christine runs into the room and is like, what's going on? Michael makes this weird declaration. Like it's as if some words are just coming out of him and it's not him because he's speaking in like a very um antiquated way, almost like um like he says, we have both over overcome our passions. Like no one speaks that way. So it was just Marie and Christine are like, this is weird, what's happening? And then in that moment, Michael apparently had a vision. And this is a story he kind of told after the fact that he had a vision in that moment. And in that vision he was standing naked in a place that was not of this world and Marie was there. her back was turned to him she was also naked and all of a sudden marie starts turning towards him and in place in the place where her eyes should be were two snake-like slits whoa (laughs) yeah and then he snapped creepy it's so creepy he snapped back to reality and marie recounts seeing an evil overcome michael and michael grabs marie by the head and throws her across the room knocks her out cold christine starts screaming she's like grabbing him trying to push him away but michael's overcome with this like inhuman strength which keep in mind he has a horrible back injury which has kept him from even working a normal job or doing normal house tasks because it's so bad and here he is like throwing a girl around the room
1: and -hmm.
0: then marie comes to and she wakes up with michael like staring in her face in her eyes and then all of a sudden his eyes kind of return to normal and he stands up as if nothing happened oh (laughs) it's just
1: like i mean What is there to say about that other than I know where this is going and I'm scared.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think everyone knows where this is going. Um, Christine then yelled at Marie and was like, you need to stay away from us. Get out of this house. And so Marie leaves and then Christine thinks like, Maybe, like, if they distance themselves from the church and from Marie, things will get better. But Michael's erratic behavior continued. He started wandering the streets in the middle of the day, in the middle of the night, muttering things to himself. He began removing religious iconography from their home. And one neighbor found him wandering the streets in this, like, crazy state. And the neighbor goes, hey, Michael, are you okay? And Michael just spits on the ground, tells the neighbor to drink it because it was the milk of human kindness
1: okay which i don't this sounds like the making of a cult leader
0: yeah right it's weird it's super weird and also like what does it mean the milk of human kindness is he like saying he's spitting let's kindness just be on happy it was his spit and not something else yeah, i don't know and then okay so then there's this other story which i'm not really sure where in the timeline it occurred because it could have happened before or after the story where he like attacked marie in his home Regardless, there is this other story where Christine and Michael attended another service of uh, the Christian Fellowship, and Christine was so frustrated that she publicly f- confronted Michael about his relationship with Marie in front of the whole congregation. And she accused him of being unfaithful, and then Michael snapped, and Marie was there either as the preacher or just there in the congregation, and he starts lashing out at Marie, and like a murderous look takes over him, and he starts yelling and and kind of going at marie and the whole congregation had to physically restrain him to prevent him from harming anyone so all of these events regardless of the order all of these events are culminating everyone's like okay something is really wrong with michael he's lashing out we need to keep a close watch on him and then the church was concerned that he might be under the influence of demonic forces so on october 3rd of 1974 Christine and Michael attended a meeting led by Reverend Peter Vincent, and within minutes of meeting Michael, Reverend Vincent was convinced that something was wrong. So he, like, at that time when they were meeting, performed a really small exorcism on Michael before sending the tailors home. And that Mm -hmm. night, Christine saw a change in Michael, a very slight change, where Michael was terrified. He was afraid for what was happening to him because he felt out of control, and that night he was afraid to fall asleep. And so that night, and this is why I was confused where the whether the Marie and Michael uh, blessing each other happened because apparently this night when Michael confessed being scared, Christine and Michael stayed awake out all night and did the sign of the cross over each other over and over. But maybe that was just Michael's thing, and he did that with every woman he was intimate with. I don't know. So then, two days later, later on October fifth, nineteen seventy four, Michael returned to another fellowship meeting, and his behavior was instantly alarming. And the congregation drove him to see Reverend Vincent because it was so alarming. So they get to Reverend Vincent's home and Reverend Vincent and his wife called for a second opinion of Reverend Raymond Smith and his wife. So it's the four of them, Michael and Christine, and they all sat together to eat a meal. And as they're eating a meal, Michael picks up his plate of food and smashes it violently on the ground. And then Mm. I hate this part. But he grabs the Reverend Vincent's cat and starts pulling its hair out. <gasps> oh my God. I, know, I hate it. And the Reverend's restrained you have, this is the second week in a row you've I know
1: picked something with cat torture. I know, it's really heartbreaking.
0: Because I just want to save all of the cats. And I want people to know that they need homes. I cried today because I saw a thing on Facebook of a little kid who fell in love with a cat at PetSmart. And and he couldn't take him home. And he just cried and cried. And I'm reading this story and I'm bawling my eyes out. Because I've done that (laughs) so many times. I just wish I had the biggest house in the world and I could take all the kitties. Um, Well, one day. One day. day.
1: That's true. One day if you and maybe that day will come sooner if you're willing to buy a
0: cheap haunted house. (laughs) It was an expensive haunted house. I'd rather an expensive haunted house than a cheap haunted house because I bet the cheap haunted house has a lot more dark stuff going on. Yeah, if it's that much cheaper. Yeah, they're hiding than the rest of them. So the reverends restrained Michael and they saved the cat, which is good. Good news. And all the reverends were like. Okay, Michael is for sure possessed by something evil. They have to perform an exorcism. So Christine and the Reverend's wives were convinced that Marie Robinson was actually the person responsible for possessing Michael. So again, Marie is a young preacher. Interesting.
1: This is almost
0: like voodoo stuff Mm -hmm. again. And they believe that Marie had pledged Michael's soul to Satan during one of her rituals. I mean, these are all theories, so we don't know what actually happened, but this is just a theory. And also, it's very clear that Christine did not like Marie because Mm -hmm. of her involvement with her husband. So, the exorcism was set to take place on October 5th, at 1974, at midnight. They brought Michael to St. Thames Church, which was down the road in a different town, and they ordered him to lie down in the vestry, and they called in a third preacher, Donald James. So, now, there are three clergymen, James, Smith, and Vincent, and they are the ones who will be prepare, who will be performing the exorcism on Michael. So they prepared the space, they lit candles all around, and then them along with their wives and Christine gathered around Michael, who's laying in the middle of all these candles. And the exorcism began, and it lasted throughout the night and into the morning. Michael went into uncontrollable convulsions and fits. He would spit, scratch, bite, and break out of his bindings. He was subjected to having crucifixes shoved into his mouth. He was doused with holy water, forced to confess his sins. He would growl and scream at different demons. And throughout the exorcism, it was believed that they rid Michael of over 50 demons. And... 50? 50. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. And some of them... I feel like that's the boast of any story. I I think it was Annalise who you did who had more demons i wish you more than that i think Hmm.
1: but it always seems like well some of them are probably lesser and then there's like the head honcho
0: right oh yeah of the demons Yep. well it was interesting because a lot of the stories read listed the demons that they believe they freed michael of and it was like for example like the demon of incest the demon of bestiality the demon of heresy demon of ma- masochism demon of carnal knowledge and like the list kept going on and then on the morning of october 6 the priests were so tired that like they like nearly fainted they were both they were all three of them were just like so worn out and exhausted they're like we've yeah, never done something like this and dealt with someone so extremely possessed yeah so it's exhausting and
1: it's it's not even mental exhaustion it's also physical exhaustion mm-hmm. because like you have to be on high alert and yeah you can't just like lay down and close your eyes and be like, okay, and now, and now do this, and now
0: I'm saying this. Like, you have to be right. very aware. Yeah, you definitely can't try to sleep while an exorcism is happening. So the priests are like, okay, we're too tired to keep doing this today. Michael and Christine, you guys go home. Michael get some sleep, and then tomorrow we'll continue with the exorcism. But they believe that there were three prominent demons still inside Michael. The demon. Of insanity, the demon of anger, and the demon of murder. So, as Michael and Christine are leaving, one of the priest's wives, her name was Margaret Smith, received a warning from God. So, this is as Christina and Michael are walking out. God told her that the demon of murder was going to escape and kill. So, she pleads with her husband and the other priest to complete the exorcism today, not to let them leave because something bad is going to happen. But they were all too tired and told Christine and Michael to return tomorrow that day october 6th michael and christine went home and two hours after arriving home at 10 a.m michael brutally attacked and murdered his wife christine
1: holy crap
0: and then just as another disclaimer i'm about to describe the way that he killed christine and it's it's really horrific and gruesome so if anyone wants to skip ahead minus ukraine um Go ahead. I'm here. I'm always here. <laughs> now would be the time to do so. Okay. Gone is my free will. <laughs> Michael killed Christine with his bare hands. He strangled her, gouged her eyes out, tore out her tongue, ripped off her face. <gasps> oh my god! This
1: this is like a monkey attack. You know when people yeah. have pet monkeys yes. and the monkeys just like brutally mm-hmm.
0: attack them. Mm-hmm. And this is what that sounds. It's one hundred percent like that. They said that the police like the crime scene investigators who walked in like just thought there was a ton of blood on her face just from being killed but then they realized that there was no murder weapon and that he had like used his hands to kill her and that like when they got closer there were just holes in her face where every like where all her facial features should have been it was just completely gone
1: oh my god this is so terrible yeah
0: and it was determined that she died from asphyxiation on her own blood before he mutilated her face. So it's possible he pulled her tongue out first, which caused her to choke on her own blood and die from that.
1: I really hope she died before all of that extra stuff. Me too. I hope. I hope it was quicker on her end for the sake of not feeling and experiencing that sort of pain and betrayal. Yeah. Me too because that's the other thing it's like when you know the person who's killing you and you're aware that that person is killing you it's not only just the fear and the pain of the actual attack but it's also coming to terms with the fact that someone who is close to you in your life mm-hmm.
0: is harming you and in this case it's her husband who she's had five children with yeah that's the last person you'd expect to hurt you right it's so sad um and another horrific thing, and I'm not going to go into too many details because I'm sure you can imagine how it happened. When he was done killing Christine, he then killed their family poodle. No, no, no. Okay, skip over it. I know. That's, I, I know. That's why I, I didn't want to do the details. But okay, so. Michael leaves his house and he's covered in blood and he's walking the streets in a maniacal daze and a neighbor finds him. He's completely naked, covered head to toe in blood, and he's shouting, it's the blood of Satan. It's the blood of Satan. It's the blood of Satan. Over and over again. Thankfully, just trying to give (laughs) some glimmer of hope and comfort to people listening, their kids were not staying at the house because of the exorcism that happened the night before. So they were all at their God. grandparents' house that night. So they did not have to witness any of this. Or who knows if they had they would have been victims if they were in the home.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, that's a 911 call I would never want to listen to. No, no. Wait, when did 911 a th- become a thing? It was somewhat recent. It might not have been – it might not have even been a thing back then.
0: 1968. Oh, so it was – it was around, yeah. Just there. hmm Just in time. The very first call was on February 16th, 1968 in Haleyville, Alabama. Fun facts. Okay. So probably the neighbor called the police and then the police apprehended Michael. And his case was taken to trial. And at trial, Michael claimed to have no recollection of the murder and claimed he was possessed by demons. The Christian fellowship was outed for what it was a fanatical cult. And Michael's lawyer argued that the cult used mind control to exasperate his pre-existing mental issues and that the exorcism then pushed a sleep-deprived, mentally disturbed man over the edge into a realm of madness and murder. So basically, they tried to make it seem like Michael had no accountability in this murder. Mm. And it worked because he was found not guilty by reason of insanity, and he was sent to Broadmoor Secure Hospital for Criminally Insane... And after four years at two different facilities, so he went spent two years at Broadmoor and then two years at another one, he was released. Mm-hmm. Four years. and Four then, years. Yeah. And so all these people were trying to blame the priest and that like they shouldn't have performed an exorcism and all of these things. And the priests were like, no, we stand strong in what we did. Like that man was possessed. And had we finished? Like they, they took blame for the fact that they didn't finish the exorcism, but like they- stayed strong in their belief that he was uh, he was possessed and then after michael's release he still had a very erratic behavior and then in 2005 he sexually harassed an underage girl and again was given a slap on the wrist only three years of community service and psychiatric treatment and it's still a mystery kind of that to this day has not been explained because i mean it's very possible this was a possession but also it could have been A case of a greater mental illness like schizophrenia that just wasn't addressed because it was you know it immediately makes me think of bath salts
1: too the way people behave on bath salts
0: yeah i mean the one thing with that is that this was such an extended period of time that i don't well right because when people are on bath salts
1: afterwards they're like so remorseful and can't believe that it was anything they would do and but this guy, I mean, four years he spent, and then he gets out, and then his behavior is continued. Correct. Yeah. It also to go back to the first Dominus episode we did with the Rick story. I mean, that's one where there was no ending. It was like someone who never really got the help they needed, right?
0: And is still so we, out
1: there in the world. Yeah, it could be an untreated
0: possession or mental illness we either one we don't know yeah it's horrible and and it's tragic to think like because a lot of mental illnesses reveal themselves in later times in life so it's possible he seemed like a normal person and then later in his life he developed this or it revealed itself and
1: it happens all the time with women too the women who all of a sudden kill their three children and that's that it's like but, at the same time, it's he also spent so much time in a mental facility. Mm-hmm. So it makes me wonder, like, what was their diagnosis?
0: What did they say? Right. And then also, like the the chain of events and the coincidence of this coming out when he got so involved with a the Christian fellowship that was practicing being possessed by the Holy Spirit and like using these other languages and doing questionable, cult-like things, is that a, more of a sign that it was a possession? I don't mm. know.
1: That's the thing with
0: this podcast and all these episodes.
1: If we had a dollar for every time we said, I don't know. <laughs>
0: We'd be rich. I could We'd afford that haunted rich. house. <laughs> we'll all move in. We'll buy a ranch. <laughs> we should change our podcast, too. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. Who with knows? and Sabrina. <laughs> The only thing we do know is that ghosts are real, yep, that's for sure that's that we
1: cannot argue Mm-mm. other people can try, but you're not going to persuade us. never I've seen them for any, myself. Convince us any differently.
0: All right, Corinne.
1: I've been sitting on this one for quite some time. I know you have This is the story of the Snedecker family. This is also a haunting in Connecticut <gasps>
0: hey <laughs>
1: I was first introduced to a haunting in Connecticut when I was quite young because the Discovery Channel had a special like a TV made for TV movie mm-hmm. about this family and I think they they called them something different they had like different names and different last name but it was this story and my whole family watched it my mom my dad me my brother and guess who were fucked up for years How old were four you? Of us. Too young too young
0: Yeah yeah,
1: too young. <laughs> my gosh. I mean, my parents were older and they were equally messed up. Wow. It starts young and forever. This story has been haunting me. So I figured I should go back to it, revisit it.
0: And I watched it in the daylight this time. Ah. All the different videos. and Oh, my God. And now you're going to haunt all of us with this story. So here we go.
1: I will say... It was me trying to piece together information from a bunch of the stories and really just take the information from documentaries over the actual movies because the movies did uh, obviously make some stuff up, especially the ma- the 2009 version. I have not
0: seen it. You haven't seen it? No. Some of those th- stories like this, I know enough about the story where I don't need to watch a movie about it because I know it will haunt me okay that makes sense i didn't
1: consider that before choosing
0: this
1: (laughs) and so now i've seen probably five different movies slash documentary versions of the same oh my god
0: so and you can't unsee
1: that yes so this is 1986 oldest son philip is diagnosed with cancer he's like 13 or 14 years old he's super young they first the doctor first detected a a small pea-sized lump in philip's neck and then the next week, when Philip returned to the doctor for them to evaluate some more, the pea-sized lump had turned into the size of a golf ball. <sighs> oh, my God. And it was a uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he was Whoa. given six months to live. <gasps> so it was super serious. Can I and tell the you time- a
0: side story real quick? Yeah. Not to... Okay. So when I was in high school, I saw this like massive bulge in my abdomen and i like was able to push it back into my stomach and so i like ignored it and i was like i'm fine and turns out i had a hernia and my (gasps) instinct was to think i'm dying and not tell anyone so i've learned my lesson yeah the fact that
1: you push it back in and it's like, oh, well, it stayed, so I'm good. Yeah. That's not how things work. No.
0: And I'm just trying to tell people this like, don't ignore things because I, I mean, I was lucky I was fine, but like, yeah. I had to have surgery. And like, if I didn't address it for longer, it could have gotten worse.
1: Didn't you have surgery when we were in college? Mm-hmm.
0: And also, every time I tell people I've gotten a hernia, they're like, are you a 50 year old man? Because young girls do not get hernias.
1: It happens, I guess. I mean it does. You had it.
0: Maybe I was an old man in in, in a past life and I got a hernia and it was <laughs> a, it was an injury from a past life.
1: You're also super active, so I feel like you're more prone to get those sort of things. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I don't Could know be either. the opposite. Neither why either. am I why am I giving suggestions here? <laughs> okay, sorry to um, make this about me. No worries. Well luckily Philip did not ignore it and went to the doctor. And at the time The family was living in New York, upstate New York, but Philip had to go to these specialized treatments that were down in Connecticut at Yukon. So they were driving. The commute was like crazy. It was like six to eight hours every single day. And it was just getting to be way too much. So the family is like, okay, we can't keep up with this commute. We really need to look for an apartment or house or someplace to rent that's down by the hospital in Connecticut. There's so much love. So much love. So- they start looking for the apartment or place to live and there's four children so philip is the oldest of four and so it's kind of hard to just like find a spot that's large enough for this big of a family that's rentable and kind of short notice um so i take some time for them to find a place but eventually this house is for rent uh, that they find and it's under construction at the time but it's pretty large Mm -hmm. and surprisingly it's within their price range which they thought no way when they saw it at first cheap haunted house cheap haunted house yes and like the way, the size of it and then also some of just like the embellishments and decor and stuff the finishings they really did think it was way beyond their price range so when they found that it wasn't they were like hmm but at the moment they were like this is too good to be true and also here's the other thing like for us now in hindsight knowing how the story kind of ended it's easy for us to be like they should have known it was cheap haunted house but if your child is going through these treatments and is having such a hard time you could very well also think god gave us this house because we need to be close
0: right or also like you're not even thinking about that because you're so concerned with your child's health that like finding a cheap house you're like okay this is great i'm not gonna even question why it was so cheap
1: Yeah, well, they didn't. And they moved into this house. It was located and still is located at 208 Meridian Avenue in Southington, Connecticut. Um, The basement had a large room, and so the two oldest boys, Philip and his younger brother, were going to share the downstairs and use that as their shared bedroom. Mm -hmm. And the other two kids would be upstairs with the parents. After they moved in, they realized that there was one room in the back that they hadn't seen before. What? And upon observing, well, because they were just, you know, they were going on a tour with the realtor. Oh, okay. They find this extra room, and they walk into it. And they're observing the stuff that's within the room. And that's when they realize that this house used to be a funeral home. And there was a lot of stuff from the funeral home still left in this room, like a gurney and some equipment what? and just like, yeah, just a lot of a lot of things pertaining that's to the funeral home. weird that home. they wouldn't clear it out yeah i'm not sure i believe that like there was no family that lived there before them i think it was the funeral home directly before this family moved in so i don't really know the situation but so they move in um figure this out there's embalming stuff there's a freezer just a bunch of stuff that i guess the realtor (laughs) like didn't tell them about and then the boys move into the basement room (gasps) turns out the base <laughs> the basement room was the casket display room. Mm-hmm. So the boys are sleeping where the dead bodies used to be displayed. And right next to that is the embalming room, but the parents closed that off and tried to make it not a part of the house, but it was still a room directly next to where the boys slept. This reminds me of Haunting of Hill House. Uh, yeah. Also, Two Girls, One Ghost Book Club. If you're not a part of the book club, on the facebook page it's it's a spinoff from our facebook group yeah but i believe the book of (laughs) the month right now is the haunting of hell house yes i just got it from my library nice i need to get that too okay so as soon as the family moves in things start happening almost immediately the mother carmen was cleaning up and she was just mopping the floors you know cleaning and as she's moving the mop around the floor suddenly a blood stain appears (gasps) and so the mop is streaking this blood stain and it gets larger and larger and larger and suddenly there's just blood everywhere she's just mopping blood there's no more water and the smell of this like putrid rotting flesh comes out and she's she's freaking out it's this like deep thick red blood and she doesn't have enough time to process and all she's thinking of is i'm ruining the floor
0: (laughs) i mean as a normal mother would (laughs) For a type A clean freak, I could understand how that would be your thought process. Not
1: like, where did this blood come from? What could this possibly mean? Is my house haunted? It was just like, oh, no, the wood floors. <laughs> so that's where her headspace was at the moment. Interesting. But she also had a sick child, so she couldn't really think about too many other things. Right. So her sick son, Philip, went downstairs for the first time when they moved in to see it. And it was freezing cold. And he said that he felt like he was being watched. And when he walked back up to the first floor and near the stairs, he heard a voice coming from the top of the stairs. And it started to call for him. (gasps) Philip. Philip. And so Philip freaked out. And he ran to his mom. And he insisted that they leave the house. He was like, something's going on. It's haunted. It's evil. We have to leave. And she was like, okay, no. You're being dramatic. And he was so shaken. And he was terrified. And like visibly shaking and his mother Carmen was like okay well I think he must just be so incredibly sick I mean he's only got six months to live that he's so close to death Ugh. and he's able to sense things that some of us aren't able to and this did used to be a funeral home so she's thinking that he is just a little more sensitive which something. isn't
0: too far off like I'd, I'd believe
1: that right but she's not really she's not really taking care of the matter right at all right but also what can you do so not long after moving philip down for the treatments the rest of the family follows the other three kids come and philip realized it was a funeral home probably because there was like embalming material <laughs> and a gurney
0: hard to hide stuff, that stuff
1: like that yeah pretty hard to hide and so then he told the rest of his siblings and then he gave his brother bradley who was the second oldest son a tour of the house And of the funeral home equipment and Bradley got on top of the gurney and then Philip started to spin him around Uh, and it got faster and faster. And suddenly he was spinning uncontrollably. And then Bradley started to get flashes of things, flashes of things that weren't supposed to be there. And he's terrified and eventually gets off the gurney and he's like, "Okay, this is messed up. I hate this house. Whoa. And of course, the parents are mad because they're like they're mad at Philip for telling his younger siblings and scaring them and making them like the parents were like, oh, you're just seeing things because your brother filled your head and like filled your head with all these expectations of what would be here. The father, Alan hadn't moved in yet because he was waiting for a transfer. So it was just Carmen and all the kids at this point. And he would drive down for the weekends, but during the week, Carmen was alone with the kids. And at one point, the daughter, the only daughter, she was one of the youngest, Connie, she was playing with toys in her room one day when a woman walked by and stopped in front of her, turned, and just stared at her. Mm -mm. So Connie got up and sprinted to her mom to tell her. And Carmen went into Connie's room but found nothing. And Connie was trembling and extremely scared. And Carmen just assumed that, again it was either her imagination or that maybe her older brothers were playing tricks on her and just trying to scare her, even though Philip and Bradley were like, we did not do that. And
0: have had their own experiences.
1: Right. So Philip and Bradley are in the basement. They're sharing that room. That is their bedroom. That's where they sleep at night, except they don't sleep much at all because (laughs) Mm. they have seen someone walking around at night. And that first night that they saw that, they moved upstairs and started sleeping in the living room. And in the morning when Carmen, the mom, found them. She was like, what's going on? And they said that they saw someone and blah, blah, blah. And all the kids started saying things like shadow figure hanging in the corner. There was a little boy in pajamas in the basement. And apparently this little boy would actually like converse with some of the younger kids and play with them. And one of them even said that like the little boy would sometimes take their toys and then return the toys. But the toys would always have
0: something missing from them. Oh, my God. Could you imagine later finding that pile of missing pieces?
1: And you're like, oh shit, this is where the little boy in the pajamas lives. Up in the attic. So scary. And then one day, all three boys, Philip Bradley and Alan Jr. were exploring the basement and underneath the counters, Alan Jr., AJ, saw a stain on the floor. And so he touched it and it was really wet and sticky. Oh, no. And then all of a sudden blood started coming from the walls yeah so all this stuff is happening but it's mostly happening to the kids right and so the parents are just thinking that they're all hyping each other up Mm -hmm. and that this isn't really anything substantial but at one point Carbon asks bradley to go downstairs bradley's the second oldest Mm -hmm. so goes philip bradley and then alan jr and then connie is the youngest daughter as well so the mom Carmen asks the second oldest brother Bradley to go downstairs to grab some food that she had in the freezer downstairs and he's super resistant but eventually gets convinced to go down mm-hmm. and while he's down there Carmen sets the table and then she returns to the kitchen and then she goes back to the dining room and all the dishes are not on the table she just set the table but everything's gone and And so she thinks she's going crazy. And she goes back into the kitchen and all of the plates are on the shelf and stacked as if she'd never touched them. And so she's really starting to believe that she lost her mind. And Bradley, meanwhile, is downstairs and hears a voice calling for his older brother, Philip. So he (laughs) runs upstairs. He runs to his mom, who's still confused about the dishes, but... Carmen still does not think that the house is haunted and didn't really believe Bradley's story went down with him to the
0: basement and grabbed the stuff out of the freezer and was like, see? The ghost needed to smash the dishes on the floor because that is more evidence of something doing something bad rather than putting them away where they belong. But again, she thought that Philip,
1: the oldest, was just playing tricks on the rest of his siblings and that Philip was probably in the basement saying, Philip, Philip. Um, Carmen actually was a believer in the spiritual world, but she didn't believe in hauntings. So she thought that people do have souls, that they move on, and that those spirits do not interact with us. Interesting. And Carmen and Alan would At one point, they gave the kids a talk about how the house is not haunted and (laughs) la-di-da and all this stuff because so much was going on and the kids were going crazy and always talking about it. And they're like, guys, it's not haunted. But the kids were super adamant about what they saw and said that it was absolutely real. Mm -hmm. And the parents were like, okay, Philip, you need to stop fooling around and you need to stop scaring your siblings. So pretty much reprimanded Philip and the rest of the kids. Yeah, Philip kept telling his brother bradley that he was seeing things and that he would tell mom but that she wouldn't believe him and carmen the mom thought that philip's mental health was just deteriorating along with his illness oh
0: this is so sad
1: right and it's frustrating because the evidence of the haunting was right in front of her face i mean for example there were crucifixes that were actually going missing like being removed from the walls and the nails would still be driven into the walls
0: Oh, I thought you were gonna say that blood would drip from the nails because that would be
1: no, no, horrifying. No, not not that extreme. But I mean, the still Chris scary. As were taken off of the walls without actually like taking the nail out or anything. Like they were being right um so philip and bradley began seeing more apparitions in the basement where they slept often four of them appearing together who would move around they'd whisper to each other they'd pick things up they were wearing dark clothing and sometimes they'd stop and turn and look at the boys
0: Mm -mm.
1: and sometimes they'd pick up one of bradley's toys and set off if it was a toy that you know like made noise or whatever and it would really spook the boys obviously like anyone's going to be spooked. And this happened almost nightly. And Carmen and Alan were getting super frustrated because their sleep was getting interrupted because the kids kept fleeing to their room in a terror. And so Alan was like, you know what? There's no one in the house. This isn't real, but I'm going to check for you anyway. And so he made kind of like this not like a show of it but like he went around and he checked the entire house he checked all of the windows all of the doors he went outside it had been snowing so he checked checked outside for tracks outside to see if anyone had walked up to the house snuck in at any entry point and he found nothing there were no signs of an intruder absolutely it's not an intruder not an intruder that you can keep out that easily
0: yeah the different kind of intruder
1: Right. And so Bradley and Philip were told to just return to the basement to sleep. So then the boys started making a habit of keeping all of the lights on when they slept because the lights meant that they wouldn't see the men walking around. Poor kiddos. During the next uh, doctor's office visit, Philip goes to see his oncologist and his mom Carmen is with him. And Carmen asks if the medicine could be giving Philip these hallucinations and delusions. Because that was what she was thinking. She was like, there's no other way. Like, it must be the medication. And Philip's just, like, filling the heads of the kids because he's seeing all this stuff. Right. But the doctor was like, no, there's no chance. And so this left Carmen believing that maybe Philip had a psychological condition. So she doesn't think haunting. She thinks mental illness.
0: Can I just say, I understand that it's, like, it's a bummer that it took so long to realize it, what it is. I think it's also good that she did go the medical route and tried to get answers through that route first because sometimes there are yeah, true actual medical explanations. True, true. It's just for me,
1: like I agree and I do think that you should go and see someone because sometimes it is, yeah. a lot of times it is something that is more mental illness but this was a case where it wasn't just Philip I know. it was everyone yeah. <laughs> so that's why I'm like okay just like also consider some other things yeah. besides that but that's just me i agree um so then back at the house like mind you this family is already strapped for cash they moved their family from new york to connecticut they have a child who is going through these intense treatments and has this life threatening disease it's supposed to take his life within 6 months like they They're spending all their money and putting all their money into their kids and their family and the treatments for Philip. And so the bills are adding up and they're not able to pay everything on time, at least. And Carmen and Alan are super stressed and they notice that their electricity bill, for one, is quite high. So Bradley and Philip, who kept the lights on all night to avoid the ghosts, We're told that they can no longer do that. And to make sure that they no longer do that, the father, Alan, removed most of the lights (gasps) from downstairs. Oh,
0: that's so horrible. No.
1: Yep. He took those light bulbs right out of the light (sighs) socket, but didn't stop the lights from turning on. Because the boys woke up in the middle of the night to find their youngest sister, Connie standing at the base of the stairs just staring at them and she puts her hand over to the light switch and just starts flipping it on and off on and off and the lights start turning on and off on and off though there's no light bulb so there's no way for the light to turn on no and then connie just turns and she runs upstairs so bradley's like fuck this and he just chases connie And then he gets to the top of the stairs, but he can't find Connie anywhere. And he's running around and his parents are awake and they're on the first floor. And so they stop him and they're like, Bradley, what the hell are you doing? And he's he was like, my sister, she was just in my room. And they were like, no, she's not. She's been in bed. We put her down two hours ago and she hasn't come down since. Like we've been here on this floor. Yeah. Yeah. Like we've been here. They would have seen it. He didn't believe them. And so they were like, fine, go check for yourself. And so he goes to Connie's room and he opens the door and she is like passed out. She's sound asleep. Oh, in her I room.
0: hate that. This is okay. I hate to say it, but like, could you imagine you're the doppelganger mom in your home at home doing this? Oh my god, Sabrina! I'm sorry. I just had it's the thing that I thought. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to make people
1: sleep with me when I'm home. My brother will sleep. My brother and I will sleep back to back with our flashlights and our vacuums. Because my mom never ghost-proofed the house. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so a bunch of activities happening all the time. It's getting worse, and they're seeing these full-body apparitions, and they're being tormented, and the kids are just, like, having a really rough time. And so Philip, the oldest one, who's definitely had the most activity out of all of them, he finally had enough of the ghosts. And the next time he heard his name be called, he walked into the room where it was being called. He <gasps> followed the voice. No. And that's where he came face to face with a dark spirit, an entity appearing as a man with a wearing a suit and he had black eyes. But his eyes weren't really they weren't just like an eyeball that was black, it was empty sockets, just a lack of eye.
0: Oh gosh. Deep
1: empty black sockets. Uh, And after this encounter, Philip became very distant, very reserved, and wasn't really communicating much with his family. And he insisted on having his own bedroom. He began wearing dark clothing. And so, presumably, this entity had started grabbing hold of Philip. Oh, no. And Philip actually said that he had made some sort of deal. (gasps) And so... Bradley moved upstairs and out of the room with Philip, leaving Philip alone in the basement. So he was trying to be brave and protect his siblings? Exactly. Oh, poor Philip. I know. He took on a lot as a young kid who was already in such a weakened state. And uh Philip and Bradley, after Bradley moved out of that room, they talked less and less and less. And Philip appeared to the family less and less. Mm. Philip's medical condition was actually getting better and his cancer was becoming less severe, which is kind of interesting because a lot of times when you think of like the drainage of energy when around such an entity you think that someone's health will actually deteriorate but right. his medical condition was getting better and then around the same time two of his cousins one of them being a 17 year old named tammy, tammy and her younger sister they came to stay with the family because their parents were in the middle of a messy divorce and tammy had called carmen her aunt carmen mm-hmm. um And Carmen was just like, oh, my God, you guys just come stay with us. Like, no problem at all. (laughs) So just like that, they came and they moved into the house. And Philip and Tammy, they were closer in age because they were like 14 and 17. So they'd always been close growing up. Okay. So Carmen, the mom, was hoping that Tammy's presence would really help – philip's recent behavior and like help him rejoin the family again and kind of find interest in doing stuff with everyone and so when tammy spent some time with philip she noticed that he was just meaner and he was much more serious and he was angry and it was the exact opposite of what he had been before oh no and philip started telling her about the things that he had seen and the things that he had heard in the house that his parents wouldn't believe him and he told her That his door would be scratched and the scratching and the noises and his name being called eventually progressed to a man standing at the edge of his bed each night talking to him, saying terrible things about his family, telling him to do bad things to certain members Mm -hmm. of the family. And as the demon was getting stronger and stronger it took away some power from Philip. So Philip was losing power. So in the beginning, he was able to talk back. He was able to leave the room when the demon came in. But as time went on, the demon controlled him so much that Philip would just be frozen to his bed, unable to speak, and was just listening to this (gasps) demonic entity Uh tell him these horrible, horrible, horrible things. Oh, my God. So Philip started writing this dark poetry. And this poetry was found by his mom when Carmen was doing some cleaning. And she read the poetry, and it was just so, so awful. And she was a little confused, actually, about the writings because Philip, he had dyslexia pretty bad, and he he did really struggle to even just write the alphabet in order. And this poetry was written very perfectly. There were no mistakes. And Philip had always struggled to write without errors like that. And so she was confused. And also the poetry was just concerning mm-hmm. so she asked philip about it because at the time she thought maybe he was just like having a hard time and was just facing his own mortality and questioning things and was writing all this right. darkness which is was normal. just normal you know feeling these emotions yeah he's a kid who was given six months to live
0: right i like wrote dark emo stuff when i was not given six months to live you know like i was doing that just as a normal You're teenager an
1: teen yeah right There was concern enough in the writing and how it was written that she did bring it up to Philip. And Philip told her that the man in the suit helped him write it. (sighs) Oh, I hate the man in the suit. The demon began telling Philip that if Philip didn't do the things he was told to do, the bad things to his family members, that the demon would then hurt Philip instead. So Philip's aggression increased and Tammy and Bradley became actually afraid of Philip and didn't want to spend time around him. And to help Tammy feel comfortable, Carmen gave her some rosary beads and took Philip to see a psychiatrist. And he was then supposed to be going to ongoing therapy, which I think he did do for Mm -hmm. quite some time. But not long after this, Philip tried to attack his cousin Tammy at night while she slept. Oh, no. And that was that. He was just so violent His family called for help, and an ambulance came and took Philip out of the house, took him to a hospital, and he would remain in the hospital for 45 days. Whoa. That night, Philip's – his parents went to the hospital with him, and he turned and told his parents that things would get worse and that now that he was out of the house, the demon would be after them. Oh my God. So after the hospital ordeal, Alan reluctantly leaves early in the morning to return to work. And Carmen went to the basement and sat on Philip's bed because she was kind of at her end. And she was like, I just need to see if any of this is true. I need to see what he sees no, and what he no, feels no, down no, here. No, no,
0: no, 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 no,
1: And it gets so cold. And <laughs> she just all of a sudden feels so scared. But that's all that happened. She didn't see a man. She didn't hear okay. voices. So she eventually returned upstairs sometime close to this time the cousin tammy was sleeping pretty peacefully now that philip was out of the house and she was still wearing the rosary around her neck and the rosary started being kind of tugged oh, no. pulled by an unseen force and her blankets were pulled from her and she felt something tugging at her bra and she told her aunt carmen but carmen didn't really admit to it being paranormal she just couldn't understand it and she didn't quite know what to say to Tammy but this is really the thing the moment that Carmen finally accepted what was happening in the house because one night Carmen was showering the worst scene in any horror movie yeah she was showering I can't say showering it's a hard word to say showering it sounds
0: yeah say it really slow and then I'll speed it up to sound like it's normal
1: showering great and as she did so the shower curtain molded around her body around her face and the entity was trying to suffocate her with a shower curtain it was pressed so tightly to her face and she was screaming but her screams were muffled but luckily enough her muffled screams went through the bathroom and reached tammy and tammy's room and tammy woke up and ran to her aunt's rescue oh, God. thank goodness for tammy thank goodness and then Carmen and Tammy both went downstairs to the kitchen table to be with each other, calm themselves down. It was super freaking scary. Yeah. And as they were sitting there at the table, a blackness, like a black mass entered the room. And the women gripped onto each other. And Tammy thought that she saw a man in the mass, the figure of a man. Yeah. And she said she felt like there were hands all over her. Ugh. And at this moment, her rosary from around her neck lifted up into the air. And then it just Shattered, and the beads rolled all over the kitchen floor. Yeah, nope. Alan, the father, though at work many, many, many miles away, was not safe from the home either. It was very early in the morning. It was like five a.m. or something like that. And he went into the office. He worked at a construction site, I believe, and he parked his car and and went in. And from the office, he could see his car. So he was confused when his car started making noises. Like the engine was revving. And what? he was like, well, I parked the car. I have the keys. I don't know what's going on. And he's looking at the car as all this is happening. And then suddenly the car sped forward it crashed into Alan's office. And he was fine, luckily. He wasn't injured. But-,
0: but his car was off. There were no keys in the ignition. This
1: is crazy. Yes. It was very clear to the family that... There was going to be no relief for them outside of the walls yes. or in. They were being followed.
0: They were marked. They were being hunted. Uh,
1: so after that, they called the priest. Good call. Which they, yes. At this point, the family was all, they were all sleeping together in the living room.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And before, this is like prior to the priest actually showing up, but after the priest's phone call, Bradley wakes up in the middle of the night because he hears Philip, his older brother's voice, calling for him from the basement. So Philip is calling like, Bradley, Bradley. Oh, no. And Bradley's confused because Philip is in the hospital yep. still. He's not home. And he follows the voice, but he doesn't actually ever, like, open a door or do anything like that. Thank goodness. And then soon after, the priest comes over and instructs the family to stop acknowledging it. Stop. Just ignore it. Ignore it hard so that it loses its energy, which is partly true. But when it gets to this point and it's that strong, I don't think you can just ignore it and then it's fixed. So the family is really frustrated. They're like, how could we... How can we just ignore this? They didn't believe that the priest could help them or that he really knew what he was talking about. And so Carmen remembered that in the paper a few weeks prior, there had been a big ad for a demonologist team. And so she called them Enter Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yes! I know. (laughs) Our heroes. I feel like there are superheroes. They come over and they inspect the house. And Lorraine has the gift of discernment. So she has the ability basically to detect spirits and where they are in certain hot spots in the house. Yeah. And when her and her husband, Ed, visited the home for the first time, she almost immediately went to the basement, which is where eee. the boys had slept, where Philip had met the demon.
0: Also, it's a pretty good place to start, regardless of where you are, because basements are pretty True. positive to have ghosts
1: and apparently demons like cold dark damp spaces aka attics and basements yep. and bathrooms. she uh lorraine warren said of the space quote it was just horrible the infestation was very very bad and the thing that had chosen this house that was no human spirit it was overwhelmingly sickening oh. they thought that the basement room was a portal like a doorway essentially for demons Nope. And they believed that the funeral home had actually been a place where the workers had participated in necrophilia. Oh, What? Yes. And so they think that because of that it kind of led to such an evil presence, it opened the door for such darkness and evil to come in. Yeah. And the Warrens pretty quickly were like, okay, we need a Catholic church to come in to sanction an exorcism at the house in order to remove the demon from the house. There's no other way. This is what we have to do. And so they call their chief researcher, John. John worked with the Warrens on a bunch of different cases, and the Warrens called him to come to the home and document the hauntings so that they could present this evidence to the Catholic Church in order to get permission for the exorcism. And the research team, John and a bunch of other people, moved into the home. They brought their audio equipment, video equipment, just and everyone- The researchers, the family members, everybody moved into the living room to sleep together. And so Ed Warren, on that first night, goes through and he explains and describes the five stages of demonic possession to the family. Stage one, encroachment. This is where the demon selects an individual and invites them in, which was Philip. Stage two, infestation. This is where he isolates or the entity isolates the target. So Philip then slept alone in the basement. Oh, no. Stage three, oppression. An individual becomes violent to others. He became very aggressive. He started to attack people. In stage four, possession, individual loses control of themselves. Possibly what happened to Michael in your story. Yeah. Yep. And then stage five is death <gasps> of the individual. So now that Philip was out of the house, the entity was looking for another vulnerable person to target. And this target would be the mother, Carmen. Oh, God. And as the group and her family were all sitting in the living room... Carmen was suddenly pushed back and held down by an invisible force, and her face and her neck became swollen and Ugh. contorted, and she said she felt all of the negative emotions all at once, which is every negative, and no. she felt despair, she felt sadness, she felt isolation, she felt depression, she felt oh, so embarrassment, sad. she felt grief, like just everything all at once. And she was totally overwhelmed, and she said she just felt like she was living in darkness. Oh, that's so horrible. And so the team around her and her family members hopped to, and they grabbed holy water, and they used that, and they prayed over Carmen and prayed and prayed and prayed, and finally she was released temporarily from the grip of this demon. And when she finally returned to her normal state, it was eight hours later. What? Eight hours that she had been held down eight hours it took for the team to free her eight hours eight hours in one second she was held down and eight hours it took for her to be released
0: wow i mean that's like the michael michael taylor story where the exorcism that night it lasted the entire night into the next morning right Mm Mm-hmm. it's very scary and it's it's
1: so weird that like it takes so long to undo something that literally happens in the blink of an
0: eye right because they're so freaking powerful
1: I know, and Carmen wasn't the only target in the house. Uh, the researchers all slept on air mattresses in the living room, and the mattresses actually breathed. So it was like a chest rising and falling. Like no. So these researchers were s- sleeping on top of the mattresses as they, like lungs, like a chest breathe, rise and fall, rise. That's not and fall. normal. Yeah. And the researchers were like, we don't know why the demon is doing this. Is this like his way of exerting his power of letting us know that he's constantly able to do something and that he's always around? Because they'd never experienced anything like that before. Wow. And so the chief researcher, John Zafis, who the Warrens had called first, he broke the rule of being in pairs of the buddy system. He moved to another room when everyone was sleeping, just like sat at the kitchen table. And he was alone, and he was just writing down the notes and all the activity from the day, just trying to collect all of the data. And then all of a sudden, the room went very, very cold. And John knew that the demon was then trying to isolate him. And so he called out for anyone. He called for anyone and everyone in the home. He was yelling the names of other researchers. He was yelling the names of the children. He was yelling for everyone, but no one came. Everyone was asleep, and no one could hear him. And so he walked to the basement door, which is where he felt the most energy coming from, and he opened it, and he looked down to the bottom of the staircase, and there was the man in the suit with hollow black eyes, and his head swelled into this massive fireball, which then was thrown towards John at the top of the stairs, knocking him down to the ground. And John was like, this is the worst thing I've ever experienced in my life. And he left the house. He grabbed his stuff. He removed himself from the case. He took himself off the case. Whoa. He said that this was the worst case he'd ever been on and the worst
0: thing that he's ever seen ever since. And he wasn't equipped to handle it. I mean, how do you handle? And like, I have so many questions. What entity was it? It clearly was an evil entity. But like, I'm just curious. They we ha- don't know. We don't have a name. They had no suspicions of like was it satan himself i don't know it it could have been
1: yeah we don't know and the other thing is is like it never got to fully possess an actual person to the point of exercising a person right and you know getting that speech where they're
0: like i am beelzebub Yeah, yeah whatever
1: it was at this point exercising just the entity from the house
0: right so I also sorry just to comment on what you just said. I love that every demon gets a bad guy speech during their exorcism. <laughs> I am bail the It's so them. true. I'm doing this because I want this soul.
1: I know they do they all practice their monologues? <laughs> do any of them experience stage fright? Uh do they want to audition for my pilot
0: because I need demons? <laughs> Don't welcome the men like I'm that, I bless this space. Take backs. Five seconds to take it back, right? Same rule as when you drop. you were food crossing on the your toes when you said it. I was actually. <laughs>
1: um, okay, so the Warrens then had pretty much plenty of evidence to contact the Connecticut diocese to come to the house, and that is when. And I, I'm not sure of his actual name because in the Discovery Channel movie, his name was Father Frank. But they did change like pretty much everyone's name in that one. So I have no idea the no. actual name of the father who came, the priest who came. But I'm going to call him Father Frank in okay. this. So Father Frank came. And something we've talked about before when we talk about possession, the Catholic Church and how they're, they do exorcisms and whatnot mm-hmm. is that they're very selective in yes. exorcisms. And pretty much when the Catholic Church needs to investigate a haunting or a possession, they do so. With a boatload of skepticism. So the right. priest enters the space believing that all activity and everything that everyone's saying is fake. Mm-hmm. It's not paranormal. And then the priest then has to be convinced. Otherwise, they go through all of these tests to make sure it's not a mental illness. It's not psychological. It's not. right. And once it's ruled out, that's just what Father Frank did. He came in and he really tried to see if it was just he tried to debunk it. So, after Father Frank leaves the house, he, after he gathered what he needed together, he returns to the church and he presents the case. And the church is like, Yes, we will do an exorcism. <laughs> yep. Which is quite rare. And what's even more rare is the type of exorcism they needed to do. It was some sort of entity, some sort of possession that was quite unique, unique and dangerous. Yeah. So. So then another priest a, comes to the house to perform the exorcism. I wrote Father Richards. Not sure if that's <laughs> actually the priest's name because, again, I'm going off of a documentary that had changed everyone's name. Okay. okay. So this priest started by cleansing the house, which, which, like, super angered the entity. And Carmen watched and followed the priest around the house as he was doing this cleansing. And noticed that the back of the priest's shirt was being pulled as if fingers were pinching the shirt and tucking it back thank you and he looked over at carmen and acknowledged what was happening but he didn't say anything and he just continued with the cleansing Mm -mm. and he did his best to ignore the entity and to not let it feed off of his energy but that just really angered the entity entity even more because it sought acknowledgement hence like the breathing mattresses and everything it constantly wanted people to know that it was there and for people to acknowledge its strength Yep, they me, 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 me. Get over yourself. Yeah. And so the priest knew that this would be a really tough one. And he gathered together people in the house. There were um, no children in the house. They were removed for the exorcism part. But a bunch of people were in the room and they listened to Father Richards as he read the prayer. And as he was doing so, everyone tried their best to ignore the demon around them because the demon began throwing things off the bookshelves, Ah. smashing items. It picked up Carmen and threw her against the wall. And Tammy was also targeted. She was pulled off of the ground and choked, and she just dangled there, her feet not touching the ground, gasping for air until she was eventually released. And just everyone continued with the prayer, did their best to ignore what was happening around them. And then the cleansing and exorcism just continued. And eventually... All of a sudden, lightness came. Oh. And the sun entered the house and filled the house with light. The temperature all of a sudden got warmer. And everyone felt this peace about them. Whoa. And this entire ordeal apparently only lasted for nine weeks. It was nine weeks. All of that happened. In total.
0: That all this happened, apparently. I mean, I believe that. I feel like the first week it starts and then it slowly starts to ramp up. Nine weeks is a pretty good chunk of time for a demon to like build its energy
1: yeah especially too if it's it's coming in on a group of people that you know are already dealing with stuff and might be easy targets so the family in total it's the nine week demon diet (laughs) i hope we never no one has to go on that diet (laughs) so the snedecker family uh they lived in there for uh, i think a total of like close to two years in that home but eventually they did move out there was just too much that reminded them of everything there was too much darkness um their son philip was released from the hospital and he was cancer free what and the cancer didn't return for a very long time he went on to have a normal life he worked as a truck driver he got married he had four children but then unfortunately his cancer did come back and it, on August 9th, 2012, Philip oh, passed wow. away from his
0: illness. But he lived a full life when he, he was told he had six months. When he was told he had six months.
1: Yep, six months to live turned into many, many years and a family. Wow. Um, this story was the basis for the 2009 film, The Haunting in Connecticut. Mm hmm. And many people are also quite skeptical of this story as as comes with the territory of possession. No one wants to admit it. it. Um, They think that the family fabricated it all. Neighbors started trying to like document what was going on and said that their stories didn't add up and blah, blah, blah. Well, apparently there are many people out there fighting very hard to convince themselves that this story was not true. But alas. The family members, for the most part, are all still alive. There are many, many documentaries that they themselves appear in along with Lorraine Warren. Um, And that is the story of The Haunting in Connecticut.
0: Wow. See, now I don't even need to watch the movies because you gave me everything I need and I don't need to be scared watching. (laughs) I just told you the
1: entire thing. Well, there are other details that I left out there's like talks of maybe some incubus succubus stuff and then oh no just some just a lot of other like little things that the kids experienced but I couldn't I didn't have a full two hours to talk so right I
0: there's mean there's our shortened version do you want me I mean like I can cut out my whole half and you can keep <laughs> going if you want
1: <laughs> this is how we're gonna do it from now on just one person the story
0: <laughs> there are plenty of shows that podcasts that do that That's not ours. (laughs) That's not us. This is. That's not us. This is We Don't Know with Corinne and Sabrina. And we. Who knows? We never know anything. All right. To add to the horrors, we have listeners who have dealt firsthand with possession.
1: Do, 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 do.
0: Okay. This is from Shelby. She says, hey, ghoul friends or my favorite ghostesses. I've been listening to your podcast for a while and sending you pictures of my black fat cat, Sheldon. She has. And I loved it um (laughs) thought i'd tell you about my ghostly stories that i grew up with and heard about from my family starting out i used to claim as a child of about three years old and onwards that i could see my guardian angel and other things in my room at night thinking back to it some of it may have been shadows in the dark or maybe just an imagination thing going on but regardless i figured out later in later years i'm really sensitive and i'm heavily empathetic along with a bit of clairvoyance I've predicted things to happen in my dreams and once predicted a death of a resident in my previous job. Mind you, this death came out of nowhere, and I predicted the exact outfit she was wearing at the time of death. Knowing this, I'll indulge and say that I used to work at a nursing home, and with that comes a lot of ins and outs, and all of the CNAs and staff have chimed in on paranormal happenings, be it bumps in the night or malfunctioning chair alarms, it's all there. What I saw, though, were shadow people. Glimpses of people, movement in the corner of my eye that just barely passed through, and now that I'm currently at my new job, the shadow sightings have stopped completely. That's a good thing. Besides the nursing home shadow people, I've seen the Hat Man on one occasion. My friend said that her home was haunted and the property around it was also heavily haunted. In my hometown, there's a few haunted places and her house is one of them. So on a cool Iowa night, We were all laying back and talking and I told my friend, I better get going, it's late. I sat up and the first thing I see is the shape of a man with a hat standing at about six feet tall. I froze up all at once and backpedaled across the trampoline and then when I looked away at my very concerned friends, it was gone. I was pretty shook and I really couldn't get the image out of my head. My next story is two visitations I had after my paternal grandfather passed away. Grandpa F was the kind of ordinary jokester and he always had a certain smell to him he had his own aroma about three years ago he passed away and it was really hard for all of us he had actually died once before by drowning and the police pronounced him dead for two whole minutes
1: not to mention
0: i know not to mention in his later years he accidentally set himself on fire twice while on oxygen
1: oh my god this (laughs) guy lived a crazy life
0: oh yeah so it took a lot to drag him down and we still weren't ready One of the first weeks after his funeral, in an already sort of spooky apartment I shared with another friend, with footsteps, voices, etc., I was sitting on the couch on my computer and all of a sudden, the smell hits me. Old Spice, lit gas station match, and Lucky lucky Strike cigarettes. Mind you, there were no men in the apartment and I lived on the second floor. I was overwhelmed and confused, but it only got stronger from there. While I sleep, I have a habit of pulling the blankets around and hugging them, so sometimes my bum hangs out from under the blankets. On two (laughs) occasions, I felt someone poke my bum just as I was about to fall asleep. The second time, I swung my arm around and said, you better fucking stop. And it did. It It was only after these events that I talked to my grandma, Grandpa F's wife, and found out that he would wake his own kids, my aunt's uncle and dad, by poking them. I still sometimes get the feeling that he's around, and sometimes I can see glimpses of him and other people. He always had these eyes that always smiled, glinting with mischief. In time for the creepy bonus round, because we save the scary for the end. So my mother and their kids, mother Aunt R and Aunt T, moved into a house without knowing the history first. It was old, cheap, and perfect for a family of five to live in, but nobody told them the previous owner had died by suicide in the act in the attic. To make matters worse, there was a woman who practiced witchcraft down the street, and they think the suicide was part was the sort of invitation to come in. So my mother lived in the room where the activity started. It was small, like misplaced items, knocks, and so on. But then she started to see eyes staring at her from her closet. There were no doors save for a crawl space that led to the attic. She ignored it, thinking it was just a dream. Then that all changed when Aunt T moved into that room and actually acknowledged what was going on. So like you were saying, step one is acknowledging.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Like a dam crashing open, thus came the activity rushing in like a flood. Aunt T would constantly sleepwalk. She'd be scratched, bitten, and when they went to church, those wounds would bleed profusely. Oof.
1: Oh my god.
0: What? There were attempts to drown T in the bathtub by this entity, so my grandma had a family friend come over and pray while she bathed. There was one time... My mother was coming home from her job, and she had a terrible feeling about Aunt T when she rushed up to her room and saw her levitating about two feet off the ground like someone was holding her by the neck.
1: Oh my god, you're freaking kidding me.
0: This is so scary. (laughs) On top of the attacks on Aunt T, there came knocks, crashes, they'd see glowing eyes, crucifixes, and other holy objects would be thrown or turned upside down. There was also the smell of rotting eggs and sulfur and cold spots. My Aunt R said that when you looked at Aunt T, you, get, you could see two sets of irises, one that were hers and another that ghosted after hers. It got so bad that they all clambered into, bed, into one bed in order to feel safe, and this went on for months. It wasn't until that someone heard their case that a man and his wife came to help. He claimed to be holy and that he could banish spirits from the house and exercise the attachment from Aunt T, so they took up the offer. During the exorcism, they stood in a circle in the room where it all started, holding hands and praying. My mother said that it felt cold all over, and it felt like there were hands pushing forward on them, almost to the point where everyone was physically leaning forward. They exorcised the house, blessed it, and cleansed it, and anointed everyone before leaving. What strikes me, though, is that she said the man spoke in tongues. Tongues, like the actual holy language. Where this guy came from, we have no idea. But ever since then, the house has been absolutely calm. In fact, wow, my grandparents still live in that house. It feels light, kind of like when you step into a church. But from the get go, I could feel that something happened there, even before anyone told me. It left a scar on the house and on my aunt T. She's been diagnosed with epilepsy since then, and there are no other cases in the family of such a thing. We think that since it came on during and after these events, that it's a lasting memory of what happened. Well, those are my stories. Hopefully that didn't scare you too much. Stay safe. Stay ghostly. Shelby.
1: Okay. (laughs) Yeah. First of all, she's had a lot of experience. Yes. And a lot of intense ones.
0: Luckily, she didn't have to be there for when her aunt and her mom and family were going through all of that. But like that, I mean, just to even know someone that's happened to is too close for comfort.
1: I know. I know. And like she's seen the hat man growing up Mm -hmm. too, which is another like shadow people are a form of demonic entity. So it's, there's been a lot of dark presences kind of drifting in and out of her life.
0: Well, I wonder, I mean, we've said the hat man, follows like a familial line so i wonder if because her family her mom mom's side of the family had such a horrible pos- near possession experience that this the hat man kind of showed and appeared to her because of that history
1: yeah perhaps man Ugh, the silver lining of this story is that her grandfather is super cute and like yeah. pokes her butt to wake her up i know i
0: love that <laughs> And also, he's probably like, "Your bum's getting cold, dude. Like, cover it up. Yeah, like, poke, poke. <laughs> hey, your butt's
1: sticking out." We have one good thing coming out of this listener's story. The bum. One poke. light, precious, yeah, wonderful experience. Yeah, yeah. I'm really curious about the guy who spoke in tongues.
0: I know, like, where did he come from, and how did he hear about their family's or ordeal? Like, how did he know they were going through this? Right, I know. Ah. I mean, it sounds like he helped, but it could have gone wrong in so many ways. So many ways, especially if
1: someone is speaking in tongues or in any language that you don't understand and you can't comprehend or what's actually to come. I know. You know? I don't like someone could be cursing you, but if it's in a different language, you don't know.
0: Yeah,
1: man. Okay, well, I'm glad that it all worked out. Me too. For Me Shelby too. And her family members. Okay. This is from E. It's called Disneyland Ghost and Sleep Paralysis Demon? Question mm. mark. Hey, ladies, my name is E. I have binged all of your podcast episodes and love the show. Great job. I have a bit of paranormal activity that has happened to me over the years and decided to write in just so my experiences are out there and my encounters live on in a way. So a few years back, I used to work at Disneyland overnight. And my first and most terrifying experience was on the Mark Twain boat while working on the second floor deck. I got chills all over my body. I started looking around to see what could be causing this. And I look towards the island, Tom Sawyer's Island, since I feel some stares coming from over in that area and there's no. nothing. And as I turn back around and try to keep on working, ignoring the feeling of being watched... <laughs> All of the lights go out on the boat. No. So now I'm standing on the second floor of the boat in the dark with only my, the only light source coming from the restaurant across the way. Oh, my God. This sounds so scary. This sounds horrifying. Since this is after hours, there are minimal lights on. I try not to panic and try to look for a logical reason of what could be going on. I look up to where the light switch is, which is in the same place where the captain steers the boat at the very top. And since it's surrounded by windows, it's easy to see inside. And as I look inside, still on the second floor, I start to make out a silhouette of a person. And as I oh. keep staring, it raises its arm to a 90 degree angle and starts waving at me from side to side in a robotic fashion oh my god (laughs) i felt my blood drain from my head and i ran off the boat deciding to take an early break and when i returned the lights were back on and the shadow was gone my second story is about what happened in my apartment while i was trying to get some sleep before going to work later that night earlier in the afternoon i was Watching some paranormal videos on YouTube and I was zoning out due to the lack of sleep. And as I was nodding off, a video about demons started to play. And the name Beelzebub Bub was repeated several times throughout the video. Oh, that's not good. And for the rest of the day, I couldn't get the name out of my head. And then he writes it three times. Yeah, don't say it. I'm not going to write it three times. Don't say it. kept repeating. And no matter what I did, I couldn't stop thinking about it. So the time came where I wanted to get some actual sleep before going to work. And still the name was there. (laughs) As I laid down falling asleep, I woke myself up by actually saying the name instead of it being in my head. Like when someone wakes up from laughing in a dream. Well, I decided to ignore it and still being tired, I fell back to sleep. I then wake up again. This time I have a horrible feeling that I'm being watched. I God. try to move my head to look up, and I can't move, and there's a crack in my bedroom door and a very small amount of light peering in so I can make out things in my room using my peripherals. You keep, like, freezing, and it's really scary. I know. You do, too. I'm trying to ignore it. Okay. I'm going to move this over your face so I can't see your video.
0: That's how I am
1: with <laughs> yours. That's what I did. Okay. Perfect. This is when I see it. A big black shadow. With long, pointing fingers and horns like a sheep. I start to panic and try calling out for my wife, but no sounds come out. As I stare at this creature, one of its hands falls off. And I can what? hear it dragging itself, using its pointy fingernails across the floor to climb onto my bed. Just the hand. It, rap- just the frickin hand. it wraps its fingers around my neck and starts to choke me. I am then lifted off of my bed and taken to the crack at the door, separating my room from the living room. And the demon or creature starts whispering in my ear and forces me to look through the crack onto my living room. And I remember seeing my wife with my mother-in-law holding my daughter, having a conversation. It then whips me around, still whispering to me, unable to make out what it's saying. Uh, At this point, I can see my body laying on the bed with this black hand around my my neck. I was then thrown towards my body and the thing... What? Sabrina? Grin. Sabrina? Yes. Okay, can you hear me now? Should we switch to the phone?
0: Yeah, call me. Yeah. Goodbye. Bye.
1: Video is much too scary right now hi hi well that was scary because that video went black yep and then okay. you started sounding all very right. scary okay <laughs> moving on all right at this moment i can see my body laying on the bed with this black hand around my neck i was oh. then thrown towards my body the thing disappeared and i got out of bed immediately and i rush out of the room to find my wife and my mother-in-law talking in the living room and i start freaking out because what I tried to reason as a nightmare was actually happening happening, and my wife and my mother-in-law were wearing the same clothes that I saw while that creature was holding me up to the door and she was holding my daughter in the same exact position and that's it that's all he wrote that's all he wrote
0: okay e, yeah you totally he said
1: he said I have several others and one that happened while working in a hospital but I'll write about that next time keep up the awesome work e but yeah, that's where the story ends. He had a. It was like he was, his astral self was ripped from yeah. his body by this demon, yeah, and then no. thrown back
0: in. No, no, no I don't like no, it, no. especially because the technical difficulties. Ugh. Seriously, he grabbed his sleeping astral self, Isn't and then his terrifying? story. I don't like that. I don't like the story, and I also don't like that it caused so many technical difficulties on our end.
1: Yes, because I know there was a lot going on in our videos. I wonder if when people it's, listen to this
0: story, it causes issues.
1: Right, I know because it's. Us know. I feel like it's just really bad timing. It's like whenever we talk about something or say something, there's. It's just bad timing. It's. it's It's really scary, too, to think that he lost control of his, like, mind Mm -hmm. and was unable to get the name and the repeated, like, calling upon this certain demon out of his head. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that.
0: It was like he was forced to summon it. I almost wonder if the video he stumbled upon, like, while he was dozing in and out was, like, someone purposefully trying to like release demon into the world you know because people post weird maybe stuff like on demon YouTube. house
1: because people are always saying that they're yeah. experiencing stuff after watching demon house
0: yeah yeah so
1: maybe it's unintentional but yeah and then it, like it, the disneyland experience wasn't
0: wasn't lighthearted at all i know people say disneyland is like, extremely haunted and um the idea of I mean, just, like, being in the Mark Twain boat freaks me out because you kind of are, like, on an island, right? Like, you're, like, on your own. And, like, then it makes me – like, the other place in Disneyland I think is extreme – I bet is extremely haunted is It's a Small World. And can you imagine, like, being in that place and all of a sudden, like, the mannequins start moving and talking to you and, like – Oh, my God. All the dolls just turn their little eyes. Hi. Hi. We are happy you're a part of our world. Stay with us forever. And then it speeds up. Oh, That's God, cra- that would be What horrifying. if the,
1: it's a small world after all just speeds up? It's a small world after all. It's a small a- world after all. A- oh, my God. A- I'd have a heart attack. Yep. Yeah, no, You'd probably perish right <sighs> there.
0: Yeah. Well, let's not die, and I hope everyone will email us their ghost stories. And if you've ever been possessed or if you know anything that we don't know, which is probably a lot. Email it to us at two girls ghost podcast at gmail dot com.
1: <laughs> we have social media. We have Instagram. We have Facebook, a Facebook group that you can join. We have a bunch of spin-off groups as well, like the Book Club, Coven, et cetera, et cetera. So check those out. And we have Twitter too.
0: And um we have a live show coming up at the Hollywood Improv on January thirteenth at nine PM. Uh general admission is twenty five dollars. Hell yeah, and VIP is 50 and tickets are selling out fast, so um, support us. Show your support by coming to our live show. Um, And then you can also support us
1: by purchasing merchandise and representing us that way. You can rate and review us on iTunes, and then you can also donate to our Patreon. Hell yeah. And we will. And we will. See you. See you. On the the other side. Very
0: smooth.